listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, May the 9th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays we examine some lesson from the following Sunday, which is the fifth Sunday of Easter, May the 15th. And the lessons are from Acts chapter 11. There is no Old Testament during the season of Easter, the readings from Acts instead replace the Old Testament. The epistle is from Revelation chapter 21. And the gospel, which we're going to look at, is from John 16, beginning with verse 12 through verse 22. Now, this occurs, of course, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, before the ascension. And so we're talking with the disciples. Jesus is saying, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, isn't that interesting? What is Jesus trying to say there? What's his explanation? The reason is that the disciples had not received the gift of the Holy Spirit in the sense that the Holy Spirit has been there to give them faith, but they're still novices when it comes to theology. Remember, at this time, the disciples did not think that Jesus was God, even though there were a number of miracles to show that, etc., but they were blinded by their old Adam and therefore did not regard him as more than a prophet or a mighty man or this sort of thing. But as God, that didn't occur till the resurrection. So there were things that he was going to tell them after the resurrection that they could not bear right now. They thought Jesus, of course, was going to defeat the Romans, put Israel back to its former grandeur, this sort of thing. Little did they know that all except one of them was going to be martyred for the faith. This was not something that they could bear at that time. And to underscore the importance of the Holy Spirit, verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now that really is an important understanding of the Holy Spirit, because he is simply repeating what the other two persons of the Godhead want him to say. This is also very important for pastors to understand. For example, when we do the absolution after the congregation confesses their sins, we say, upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto each and every one of you. And 
by Jesus' authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You see, a proper pastor will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he has learned from Holy Scripture, he will speak to the congregation, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That's why the reading from Revelation 21 about the new heaven and the new earth is able to be understood by Christians who have received faith to believe this. Going on with the Holy Spirit, verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, what does that mean? What is mine? We've said a thousand times on this broadcast that if you need to have an understanding of a passage, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And oftentimes you don't have to go any further than the context of the passage you're reading. In this case, it's the next verse as to what is mine, Jesus says. Verse 15 of John 16, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, what specifically is Jesus speaking of? You can go to the cross. He tells the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. He says to the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He exclaims, it is finished. Namely, what is his is now finished. And it's a total error on the part of Christians who think that they need to somehow finish the work of Jesus as though he set the early requirements and we need to finish with the later requirements. There are no requirements that we need to follow. There is no commandment that we need to obey. Even the faith that helps us to believe in Jesus Christ, that is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is not something that we have decided, okay, I'm going to now believe that. I've done that in confirmation, showing that love of God is like love of another person. And I'll say to the confirmands, okay, let's make a deal. Uh, tomorrow after school, let's say at five o'clock, the first person you meet who is not married, you want to fall in love with them and marry them. How many of you would do that? And of course, nobody puts their hand up because they know what if they meet someone who's not married and is maybe 60 years old and they're only 14 or 15 years old, 
or they just don't like the person. Love is something you fall into. Similarly with faith, you fall into faith as Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, tells you what is his, and you come to believe it through the faith that the Holy Spirit gives you. Then Jesus continues this conversation that kind of disturbs the disciples. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. Now verse 17, so some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Well, Jesus is going to explain that because he also says, because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. This is really important because in confirmation, whether youth or adults, the pastor may say a number of things that will not be understood by those in the classroom. That's why he needs to explain what he is speaking about. And he does that by sharing what the scripture speaks of as an explanation. We still may not understand or think it's reasonable to believe what is said, but we still believe it through the power of the Holy Spirit. For example, at Jesus' baptism, Jesus was standing in the water. The Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son. And the Holy Spirit was coming down from heaven in the form of a dove. Now, it's very easy to realize that this is a discussion of the Holy Trinity, three persons with one God. That cannot be understood reasonably. It doesn't make any sense. But through faith, we come to realize that, yes, that is the way it is. It's kind of like, well, a parent may turn on a light in a room by hitting the switch, and the child doesn't realize that there's a light switch that turns the light on above his bed. But he sees the father doing it all the time. And so even though he cannot explain how the light turns on because his father hits this spit switch, doesn't understand electricity, that there are wires going over from the switch to the light, etc. He doesn't understand any of that. But he believes that the father can make his room bright by doing what he is doing. This is, in a sense, how we teach Christianity. We cannot understand 
many of the things of God. And that's why Jesus said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And then he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the one thing he said to them was, well, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. In verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, put yourself in the place of the disciples. They have no idea what Jesus is talking about. That in a little while, they're not going to see him, and they're really going to be in grief. But then a little while later, they will see him, and rather than weeping and lamenting, they will be turned into joy. And while he is gone, the world, he says, will rejoice. Now, from our background of the Bible, we know that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are many prophecies, and finally in the New Testament, there is the record of Jesus dying on the cross. Very few people understood on Palm Sunday that he was coming into Jerusalem for the purpose of dying on a cross. They were all shocked. In fact, remember what the disciples did? They went and hid in an upper room because they feared the Jews would then be coming after them since they were followers of Jesus. And so the cross is a great example of what Jesus is saying, that in a little while you will weep and lament. The disciples could not understand why Jesus had been crucified. They were looking forward to him restoring Israel to its former grandeur, getting rid of the Romans, having enough food to eat, shelter, etc. But instead, he was buried. And the world rejoiced. Now, the word world there is really important because sometimes it just refers to the planet or the people on it. But in this case, the word world is referring to the unbelievers so that while the disciples will be weeping and lamenting because Jesus has said that you will not see me, 
he will be buried. The world will rejoice over that. In fact, what was the first act Jesus did after the resurrection? He descended into hell, where the spirits of those who were unbelievers and had died during the flood were there, and he proclaimed victory to them. And therefore, though they were rejoicing at his death, they were no longer rejoicing. Then that night on Easter Sunday, Jesus appeared to the disciples and recalled the first words he said to them, the peace of the Lord be with you. And immediately the disciples, their sorrow was turned into joy. So Jesus is even telling them this. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, three times he prophesies that he's going to Jerusalem and he will die at the hands of the Jewish leaders and the Romans, but then three days later he will rise from the dead. It's clear that that three days later part, which he said three times to the disciples, that it just wasn't heard. Because what was happening three days later? The women were not going to the tomb to visit a risen Jesus. They were going to the tomb to anoint with oils a dead body. And so the angel at the tomb said, Why are you seeking for the living among the dead? He has risen. Don't you remember what he told you? And I, I like that verse because it kind of gives the purpose of every sermon, every Bible study, every worship service to help people remember what the Bible says through the power of the Holy Spirit, what happened to Jesus, the reason it happened, and why we now take joy. Even on that accursed Friday, the church refers to it as Good Friday because it was a good day. It was a day when our sins were paid for on the cross by the Lamb who had come to take away the sins of the world as John the baptizer described Jesus. So there was so much in the ministry of Jesus that made it clear that he was coming to redeem the world. How the disciples did not believe that is really hard to fathom. Now, some people will say, boy, if I had been a disciple and seen all those miracles, I would always believe in Jesus. Well, guess what? You are living at a time when you know that the prophecies were fulfilled, that Jesus did rise from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And when you pray to him, he tells the Father. And yet, you continue to sin every day by thought, word, and deed. 
That's why there'll be no sin in heaven, because you will be face to face with Jesus eternally. And when you recognize that, you will have no desire even to sin. Because of your love for Jesus, you will want to be doing good works. Good works that Jesus recognizes as good are called fruit of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells them, yes, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, what Jesus does, he speaks a lot about parables. And a parable is simply a comparison of what goes on on earth as a description of what is happening in the Holy Christian Church, the kingdom of God, and heaven itself. So, for example, the parable of the lost sheep is Jesus' way of showing that you were lost, it was your fault, and the shepherd comes, finds you, puts you on his shoulders, and carries you back home. There is nothing that you do in order to be saved. Everything is done by Jesus. So that's kind of the meaning of the word parable when it's talking about comparing it to the kingdom of God. So Jesus wants to explain how someone can be sorrowful and yet their sorrow will turn into joy. So beginning with verse 21 of John 16, he tells this. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. In other words, it's painful to give birth. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So there's an example. This is a clear example also against abortion that teaches that babies in the womb are not human beings. No, Jesus clearly says that it is a human being that has been born into the world. So he uses that example of a woman who is in pain giving childbirth, and she may say, boy, I'll never again want to have a child. But once the child is born, she forgets the pain. It's over with. And she may have other children because it's a joy to be a mother and have a human being as your child. So Jesus uses that as an example of what he's talking about, that in a little while you will be sad because I am gone, but then I will return. And that's the explanation. Gone after the crucifixion for three days and then a return. It also can be used to talk about his ascension into heaven. 
for from our point of view, we don't see Jesus visibly. He appears to be gone, but he still is there, and soon he will be back on the day of judgment to take with him all believers into an everlasting home. So, verse 22, after giving the example of the woman who's in pain and then in joy, Jesus says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And then there's another promise that Jesus gives. And what does that promise say? No one will take your joy from you. We really see that in the work of the faithful apostles after the ascension of Jesus, that they were willing to be whipped, they were willing to be killed because they had the joy that they would be seeing Jesus, just like the thief on the cross at the moment of their death and therefore your death. You are immediately with Jesus in the spirit, awaiting the day when your body will be restored to your spirit and you will be living in heaven eternally under God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So John 16, though it was said before his crucifixion and warns the disciples that they will be sad. It ends on a wonderful note of great joy. And that joy is for all Christians at all times. On the next Law and Gospel, which is our opportunity to share with you the hymn uh, selected for the fifth Sunday of Easter, we'll be looking at at the Lamb's High Feast, we sing. We'll be doing that with Mark Smith. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks so much for listening to Law and Gospel. Till tomorrow, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.